in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts. By the way, if you use Stitcher to consume podcasts, apparently Stitcher's been having an issue with um, SoundCloud, which is the platform through which we publish. And that's been the case for the past, I want to say, 72 hours. So just an FYI, if you consume content through Stitcher, that's why you probably haven't seen podcast updates for, for a period of a couple days. So let's touch on a, a couple of items from uh, the reporting season. We had Elon Musk of Tesla spar with analysts on their earnings call. That was kind of humorous. I'm not going to recite it, but you can check it out online. It's easy to find the content. Um, Musk just kind of got impatient, got fed up with analysts' line of questioning. Analysts were doing their job, but I understand his frustration because earnings calls are just a sort of a painful, mundane, evil necessity. Uh, life as a public company, life as a, as a sell-side analyst, as a, as a buy-side investor. Xerox apparently is keeping its management team in place. So they had announced earlier in the week that they were swapping out CEO Jeff Jacobson and they're going to make some board changes in a deal with which the company struck with activist investor Kyle Icahn and with Darwin Deason, who founded ACS, which was subsequently sold to, to Xerox some years ago. Uh, the, the deal they agreed upon Thursday night allowed the current management team to stay in place, and apparently the company is going to look at a, a broader landscape for a potential deal. So my guess is the company just gets sold sooner rather than later, which I think is what needs to happen because it's a corporate governance S show, as some would say. And I don't think the management team has their act together as it relates to, to operations. They don't seem to have a mother mission. And the company would be better served, shareholders would be better served if Xerox was part of a, of a larger entity. So strategic acquirer, I think, would be best. I think, frankly, PE could make improvements and not just operating efficiency improvements, not just a bunch of cuts, but swapping out the current executive team, at least the CEO. I think there's some low-hanging fruit there. Apple was the big one that I wanted to talk about because I've talked about this in the past. Share buybacks. I'm not a fan, particularly within the world of technology. So Apple announced earlier in the week that they're going to buy back $100 billion worth of stock. So this is an incremental share repurchase over what they've announced in the past. So it's $100 billion of, of new share repurchase money. So investors like share repurchases because they put a floor on the stock. If you're going to have a company that's going to constantly buy back some of its equity, it sort of sets a floor under the EPS number. And Apple did it disclose, by the way, they did not disclose the timeline with which the $100 billion would be deployed. They just sort of announced the, the amount. So that's at their discretion. So many investors like buybacks because it puts a, a floor under the stock. Investment bankers like share buybacks because there are fees associated with buybacks. But then there are uh, certain investors like me who aren't fans of share repurchases, particularly with technology companies. Because what the company is saying, what they're implicitly saying is we don't have a better alternative with which to deploy the cash. So we're going to give it back to you, the shareholder. Right? So just let's, let's look at Apple. So Apple's talked about a number of investments over the years, which we, we haven't really seen uh, come to fruition, at least not yet. The big one would be the, the car. What are they doing with the car? Is that going to happen? Is it not going to happen? They seem to be taking baby steps. 
So Tesla has a market cap of $53 billion. So if Apple was serious about the car, really serious about the car, and you wanted to acquire a forward-thinking company in the auto space, why not Tesla? And if you want to push back and say, hey, it's awfully expensive, fine. I'm not going to, fine. But why not then build out the automobile initiative more aggressively? How about content? That's supposed to be a big initiative. And what, what was the number? I didn't look at content in the Q&A of the earnings call this week, but as of uh, year-end, calendar year-end, I think the number that Apple wanted to deploy in terms of original content was a billion. Not a large number. So how about maybe you get more aggressive with regard to original content? Acquire a movie studio. Acquire a, libra- a film library. Acquire a Netflix. I'm just throwing things out there. I'm not vetting these investments. If you want to push back on Netflix and say, hey, they don't own sufficient uh, IP of their own. Most of, what they own, most of what they do is licensed third-party content, although I think the mix is close to 50-50. Um, fine. But you get my point. There are, uh, there are assets in the landscape with which Apple could deploy that capital or accelerate. The, the, it doesn't have to be M&A. They could just accelerate the pace of innovation across existing business lines. And so the, the point I'm making is there are better alternatives, I would think, if you're Apple, with which to deploy your capital as opposed to returning it to shareholders, which is a financial machination that's really doesn't create any long, not really, it, it doesn't create long-term value. It doesn't create intellectual property. It's a financial machination. And they're also paying a bit of a dividend. And that's sort of the trend. That's been the trend probably since 2010, 2011, coming out of the financial downturn, a lot of the investment banks sold companies, particularly technology companies, on the idea of using cash that had built up on the balance sheet, because most software companies, in, in many technology companies in, in general, but particularly software, have uh, you know their business models throw off high profit margins, large amounts of free cash flow, and therefore during the downturn, when companies really tighten their belt, uh, they, they built up cash on the balance sheet. And so post-downturn, when companies are starting to invest a little bit again, hiring a little bit again, growing the sales force, looking at M&A targets, uh, investment banks were able to convince these companies to, to, hey, you have some excess cash, you don't have a good use for it, uh, maybe it's harder to get M&A deals done right now because valuations are still depressed, why don't you give investors something back, maybe offer to buy a bit of their stock back, uh, pay a little bit of a dividend, and then you go out to the street and tell a story about, hey... There's three legs of the stool. We're, we're you know running a little bit of an M&A program. We're giving back uh, we're uh, giving back some cash in the form of a of a dividend, and we're buying back stock to keep the share base stable or to even shrink the share base. Right? Only only one of those legs in the stool creates long term value. The M&A piece. If you go out and acquire another company that has valuable IP in an area where perhaps you don't or where you're weak, there's long term value there. Dividends and share repurchases aren't going to generate long-term value, particularly within the space of technology. It's extremely fluid. Um, I just, you know, I, I've, I've seen it with a number of companies, and, and I see it with companies as they approach the, the sort of the billion-dollar revenue range, uh, billion of annual revs, where they feel like, hey, uh, we're large enough now, our growth is never going to accelerate again. Let's think about ways how we can uh, return capital to shareholders because we're at a size where we're never going to grow rapidly and we're never going to be able to spend all the cash we throw off uh, in terms of investing it within uh, product and services. So let's return some to shareholders. That is a lazy way of thinking if you're a, a management team. 
and or a board of directors. It's, it's, it's lazy thinking. There's always something new in the world with technology. There's always a new way to deliver your products better, cheaper, faster. There are always new products and services to be thinking about. There are always new um, industry verticals, adjacent verticals to, to enter, both through acquisitions and through organic product development. And on the organic side, it's not easy. It's like making a hit movie or a hit song. It's like catching lightning in a bottle. So to get it to work, you know, and, and I'm talking about a new, a new product initiative, it, it often takes multiple iterations. Constantly iterate, tweak it, test it with customers, learn, observe behavior, you know, refine. It's a continuous cycle. And it takes a while and a lot of patience and diligence to get a new product to really gain traction. Regardless of company size. I mean, look at Amazon. I, I talk about them all the time um, because they are a good example in many cases. Uh, and, and in this case, for this episode, they're a good example of a company that has brought efficiency, cheaper, better, faster way of doing things to different verticals. And we've seen a lot of it within the past calendar year. You know, if you think about Whole, Whole Foods was sort of a new market, you know, they talked about uh, building out food and grocery for some time. I think most of us thought that would come largely on, online, uh, and, and Whole Foods helps accelerate that effort and brings a new customer data set and off-world data, uh, offline data to 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 the fold. And by the way, I guess they just lost that. Well, we don't know. Walmart apparently won the bidding war for Flipkart in India, outbidding Amazon. Who knows if it's over? Amazon could always counter. But Amazon's a company that's aggressive about pushing into new verticals. And if you're a, a mid-market software company, you've got a billion, two billion in revenue, um, there's probably another vertical you could pop into. If you're in most every vertical in, in the economy, well, then there's probably one or two verticals that you may really want to scale in. We've talked about healthcare here in this podcast in the past. Healthcare IT, I think, is going to be the fastest and growing vertical within the software space and, and certainly the one with the most revenue opportunity, given that healthcare is such a large part of the economy and has all sorts of complexities that can be addressed through data and analytics workflow. And just because you're in a particular vertical and have hit a certain size, there's, there's no, no ceiling per se. And if you're in a particular vertical, let's say you have a rich data set, Let's say you're an information services company in healthcare IT. Well, maybe now it's time to layer in analytics on top of your data and bring actionable intelligence into that particular vertical. So there's always something new. So I just feel like the share repurchases are a, a lazy way out. And you're actually doing shareholders a disservice in the long term by uh, giving very short-term shareholders a, a way out via the, the stock buyback. That's all for now. See you next time.